there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people. Today, my guest is Steve Silverman. He's a writer and a director and a producer. He has a play that's currently showing in Los Angeles at the Hudson Backstage Theater. It's called Happy Birthday McKenna. I saw it last night. It was very funny, which did not surprise me because Steve's very funny. But it also has a lot of serious stuff, and it's dramatic and secrets and family. And so it was really great, and I was so excited to talk to him about it. But before I get to the interview, I want to remind you that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by me. One day I'll say Cheerios, but not today. It's just me. So if you like the podcast and you want to support it, there are a couple of things you can do. You can go to DennisAnyone.net slash support and leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Help me cover the expenses of doing the podcast. Or you can become a subscriber to dnrstudios.com. That's a group of shows that I'm part of. You get my show two days early, and you get all these other great shows. Uh, and you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. All right, that's enough for the plugs. Here's the interview with Steve Silverman. Joining me now from beautiful Santa Barbara, California, it's Steve Silverman, the writer and director of the hilarious and dramatic and occasionally serious new play, Happy Birthday, McKenna, which is showing at the Hudson Backstage Theater in Hollywood. Welcome, Steve. Dennis Hensley. I know. I feel like I've known you a long time. We've had uh, some creative journeys together. Um, I saw your play last night, and congratulations. It's Thank you. It's very funny, but more serious than I'm used to seeing. I know your stuff is usually wacky and uh, things like The King and I Know What You Did Last Summer, and like, and this one dug a little deeper and like it was really dramatic so how would you describe what happens in the play to somebody how do you describe it to somebody that doesn't know anything about it i try to be careful because there's a big twist in the show so what i'd like to say is that every family has secrets but this family needs a storage locker and it's a dark comedy and we keep it real and you will feel much better about your own family this thanksgiving after seeing this family in action but it's just a truth. It's a truth bomb. And what I love about it is it's a, it's a birthday party for a three-year-old. The three-year-old never shows up uh, because everyone else keeps showing up pretty much without her. And they start day drinking. And one by one, everyone's secret starts coming out. But one big thing happens that really challenges us to say, what would I do? What would I do in that situation? And I think that's why the audience relates. I think that's why the audience um, laughs. I think it's the, the highest compliment I've been getting a few times now. My friend Amy Simon said it. She woke up the next morning, got in the shower, and she was still thinking about the show and asking herself, what would I do if somebody said what that brother said that he was going to do? What was the inspiration for it? Where did the germ of the idea come from? So five years ago, I was in a cemetery with my husband looking for his mother. We were on the way to our three-year-old niece's birthday party. Her uh, name is Kaylin. Uh, we were all worn, and I added this into the show by several relatives who, like, would see us. And, like, before we went to the party, you know, a couple of days before, we'd see an aunt. And she'd be like, oh, my God, you look amazing, Dennis. Oh, Dennis, how are you doing? Now, you heard that Kaylin's not a very nice little girl. And we kept going, wait, what? So I put that in the play. It was um, my favorite running gag that McKenna, <laughs> the title character, the three-year-old, is an asshole. She's pretty much a full-on asshole. So uh, I got to say this about my little Kayla and my niece. Everyone says it. Like, oh, yeah, I just Everyone tell says you. it. Yeah. Right, in the play. But here's was the thing. she, she when you met her? 
Did she no. deliver? She didn't no. deliver the good. She was she's oversold. a three year old. Yeah. She, she was <laughs> She's a three year old, right. and I think everybody. She was kind of a surprise baby, and I think everyone had moved on to twenty year olds and hadn't had a three year old around them. And so I was like, "This is just a three year old." She was yeah, fine. She, she had was a little fine. princess outfit on. Yeah, she fine, fine. But we were in a cemetery. Uh, we were on our way actually, and Jim pointed over and said, "Oh, my mom's buried in that cemetery." And he made a left turn and he was pointing to the right. So you want to go see her? And he like whips the car around and we go into the, into the cemetery and he kept saying, she's by a tree. She's in this one plot by a tree and we're driving over these, you know, couple, not hills, but a couple, you know, different sections. There's no tree. And so he's like, no, I know she's right here. And we get out of the car. It's Chicago. It's March. It's fucking freezing. We're wandering around a cemetery looking for a tree. And I turn to Jim and I say, listen, there's a building over there. And I bet they have plots of where everybody is, a little grid. I'll go over to the building. He goes, great. I start walking over and out loud, I say to his mom, hey, Barbara, I'm fucking freezing. If you want to meet me, give me a sign. And I kid you not, I hear like this cracking noise. Now, you're in a cemetery walking around and you're so trying to be respectful, but it was snowed over all, you know, the, the graves were all on the ground. They weren't those ones raised ones. I hit like a little patch of ice. It cracked. And I like jump backwards and I look down and I see ARB and I start <laughs> respectfully kicking it with my foot to get the ice off of it. Respectfully. And I see, respectfully, I see Barbara Mittman and I, I'm waving to him. I had to text him. And then he looked at his phone and he came over and he said, how did you find her? I said, I asked to meet her. And that's how this whole story took place. Wow. And so standing there, Jim said to me that he, his mother never wanted to be buried. He believed she wanted to be cremated. And as a joke, he made a joke about it. And uh, spoiler alert, as I kind of give something away about the show, he made a joke of maybe we should dig her up and I'll take her with me to Santa Barbara, cremate her, you know, cremate her, take her, right. throw it all around. And then he said, maybe I'll announce that right after we sing happy birthday to our three-year-old niece. The asshole. And, the asshole. <laughs> Who was not an asshole. <laughs> totally fine. Perfectly normal. But um, three years went by and, and I was just thinking of different stories and it came back to me and I was like, there's a story here. Right. And so I created this family and they're not his family. They're not my family. They're shades of all of us. So many people, as you know, Dennis, you write something and they see the, the lead car the character, Bill, that's you, right? Dennis, that's you. You're the lead guy. And you're like, no, I, I'm somewhat talented. I can somewhat come up with original right. characters. My stuff is usually me. It's pretty much me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not writing uh, wizards and spies. Yeah. So that's, that was the impetus to the whole wow. thing. So that was, that was like five years ago. I love that. Um, I, and your cast is so great, but you're doing a lot of cast switching in, in and out. Like somebody's here for a couple of days. Like you just had Faith Saley from my favorite show, CBS Sunday Morning. Obsessed love with her. that show. Love her. Um, I love it. It goes down easy. Like they'll do yes. The Secret of Awnings. On CBS Sunday morning. It's so humane. I love it. I love it. it. Yeah. I love when they do like, like, and now 30 seconds of this brook. Yes. Running, running through Malaysia. It's just what and you just watch a brook. It's so, yes. it's so delightful. I love it. Yes. And, and I, my dream gig is to, I want to kill Mo Rocca and take that gig. But anyway. That's a good gig. That is a good gig. Yes. I, the interviews are substantial, but they're not, um, they're not super fluffy, but they're, they're humane. I just love that show. Anyway, so Faith Saley flies in to do a couple of shows. So yes. talk about the rotating casting. Did you want to do that? Because it seems like a hassle as a producer. 
You know when you have like a really good idea and you write it down and you're like, that's such a good idea. And then you start doing it and you're like, this is a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> like working out, right? Or eating healthy or not imbibing as much red wine as humanly possible at all hours of the day. It just seems like a lot of work. Not, it'd be much less to not do any of those things, right? Or just drink the wine and do nothing. Um, I came up with this brainiac idea of that Irene, this one part would be a guest star, kind of like a Kramer right. or, a, or, 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 a, or, a, or a Schneider for those of you who are more in my uh, age frame, age nice. bracket. Um, so I called up four different friends, two from New York, one in Chicago, uh, and then one here in LA. And everybody said yes. And Faith Saley and I have known each other forever. We jokingly say that in an alternate dimension, we're married and um, I'm a um, heartthrob millionaire and she is a sexy model and we solve crimes like Jonathan and Jennifer Hart. But we never like... They never call us to solve the crime. It's always like we're at the dinner party and yeah. someone gets murdered and we're like, okay, dessert will be a little late. We've got to solve this crime. And we yeah. call each other darling a lot. Oh, darling, darling. Yeah. So um, I thought this was a great idea. But really what happened is when we were casting the lead of Tommy, I really wanted one actor and my producer Kathleen wanted another actor. And we both loved each other's choices. And she said to me, she put up her fist and she said, I'm ready to fight you over this right in front of the casting director. And I said, there's no fight. And I picked both their headshots up. I said, this guy does it the first two weeks and this guy does it the next two weeks. And we said, why not? It's why not change it up? Why not keep it fresh? Why not keep the, the cast going and the energy? The show you saw last night was easily the most connected, best show they've had. And you all were like, you were one of those dream audiences. You laughed at things that they don't normally get laughs at. But you know this and I know this. If you play shit real and don't play the funny, that's why we laugh. Yeah. And I really worked with them so much on this of don't turn this into a TGI Friday, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, you know, Family nice. Matters comedy. Play the real. And so we're keeping it real. We're changing out our cast. We got three new people coming in this week. It's a shit ton of work for me. And I'm loving every minute of it. I love it. So you don't regret the the multiple casting. You're like, if you had to do it again, you would do it. Yeah. 100%. I love 100%. that. 100%. I love that. What's your favorite part of it? Uh, my favorite part of the process is, is the taking it from the page. I'm a writer, writer's writer, like you are. And I rewrote and rewrote this two and a half years. We did multiple readings. We did readings with Melissa Peterman and Nicole Sullivan and Pete Port and all these wonderful actors and a lot of actors you never heard of and who are wonderful actors just the same. Miley Flanagan, who you know. Miley or Miley? I always get it wrong. Miley. Miley. Excellent. Yeah. She came out. She read Irene. She's a delight. And um, and I just love the read, writing and rewriting. But when you start gelling it and it comes to life and you put that group of actors together... It's really magical. It's really, it's like, wow, they're doing stuff with it that I didn't hear in my own head. They found something new with it. So that's, that's kind of, I think, my favorite part. How do you mount a show in Los Angeles when you live in Santa Barbara? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> okay, first of all, I want to say this to everyone. Please come visit me. Santa Barbara is 70 miles away. Everyone acts like Santa Barbara is San Francisco. It's a lot closer than you think. In fact, I went and saw a show at the... Which theater did I go? Oh, the Open Fist Theater, which is over kind of like um, Echo Park area. Yep. My friend met me from Culver City, and I made him a bet. We finished the show, and I said, I'm going to drive home to Santa Barbara. You drive home to Culver City. Let's see who gets home first. I got home before he did 
by three minutes. Wow. And he was like, I flew, yeah, no. So how you do it is you get yourself an awesome producer like Kathleen O'Grady and you trust the process and you, <laughs> you heard cats when you have 15 actors playing 10 parts and you try to get everybody together and you try not to go to, to com- go completely broke because you're paying everybody for rehearsals through equity and you just buckle down. We did eight weeks of rehearsals and I will tell you in week seven, They'll tell you this too. We hit that weird, like, did everyone get amnesia? Are you all zombies? Like, what hat? Like, people were bumping into each other. People were forgetting. I don't line, line. I don't know what I'm, where are we? Everyone was lost. I was like, oh my God, what is happening? And then I did a cleansing. I made them all come in kind of like I do in the show where she says a prayer. Everyone said a prayer and we put the previous week behind us. It never happened. And then all of a sudden, anyone who's ever done this, and you know this yourself, as because you've done it, you get that really clunky, oh my God, is it, is it, is it, is it? And you're jumping off a tree at like a cliff, and all of a sudden you fly. Yeah. And this cast just took off. And, um, and they took off early. And it was kind of good because they crashed and burned on the Tuesday night before our Thursday preview. And the, that rehearsal was a, not a disaster, but, uh, one light went went rogue on us, and it was like strobe light. So like you're in the middle of doing a play, and for they couldn't figure out why, and um, one of the sound cues wouldn't come up for some reason. And this is all the joy of doing theater. It's all the things that um, what, um, <laughs> a running joke in our cast. Uh, uh, there's a set of bets that go on with the family, and I always put out real money because I hate when casts use like a fake thousand dollar bill, right? Yeah. So every week I put about $60 in fives and tens out. And every week, whoever wins the bet usually goes the fuck home with my money. And so it becomes a running joke with the cast of like, okay, so tonight before you go on stage, try to remember bringing back the bet money. And they walk in all like with their head down, like, sorry, I took home the bet money. And it's not <laughs> so, the same winner every time? Uh, it is the same winner every yeah. time. But you, as you saw, the, 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 the money changes. Around. The money's flying around. Yeah. <laughs> and it's real cash. Do you feel like this is the most ambitious thing you've done in terms of a theater um, production? I did a show in 2001 called Perfect with Kirsten Bangsness, who is, uh, went on to be on Criminal Minds. It was before she was on Criminal Minds. And um, it was uh, 16, 15 or 16 cast members. It was at the Egyptian Arena Theater. It was um, a huge production. This... That was the last thing I did. And then I did the double-double with Danny, which you mentioned, yeah, um, which was we wrote together. Feature. Yeah, Super fun. Um, and we did that there, too. But Perfect was the most ambitious until now. And, and I felt like it's been 19 years since the double-double, which is weird, because that was 2004. And I really wanted to go for it. And we're, we're doing something. I'll tell you just really quickly. I, I, I spoke with some set designers. And to build the set I wanted, which was a living room, dining room, kitchen, you're talking $15,000. And for me, because I'm so, I'm a vegan, I have a rainwater barrel, we have one car, I have a fucking composter, I'm that guy, everybody. Um, I could not build a set for fifteen grand and throw it in a landfill in a month. And so the set you saw last night is 100% everything on that set, I kid you not, was found on the side of the road. Every single piece, down to the lamp, down to Martin's chair. That's so everything, wild. 
everything was me driving around and doing that thing I do where I'm like, I need a chair. I need a chair. I need a chair. Oh my God, there's a chair. And I threw it in the back. You should have seen Martin's chair. It's just like, it's like a, like a, Martin is like the a, patriarch. He's the patriarch. It's kind of like a yeah. throne. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of a throne chair. I had to clean the motherfucker. I was like afraid that thing had scabies. Like I didn't know what that had. How much time does it take you to find a set when you're doing it that way? Surprisingly, um, there's a big ottoman right center stage, the big brown ottoman. I found that over a year and a half ago and just said to Jim, hey, when I put that to show up, I'm going to go grab that ottoman. He's like, okay. There were two, actually. They were side by side. I took the better one. And we turn it the way it's turned because there's a big rip in the one side. But, like, honestly... This is how you do little, little theater, and I'm going to tell anyone who comes to see the show on closing weekend, if you see anything on the stage that you'd like to take home, ladies and gentlemen, come on down. We're going to give it to you for free. Take it away. Because so that's, that's how I did it. That's wild. Um, so because it's a more serious story in addition to the humor, do you feel more vulnerable around it? Because when it's a spoof, you're like, oh, it's spoofy. We're not, yeah. we're not serious. I mean, we're having fun. But I feel like you're a little more uh, open to criticism with something like this. Do you feel that? Yeah, and I get um, I get a little emotional because it's partially my husband's story, and it is a lot of this really did happen. Um, I like to say brushstrokes, right? Because you're making a painting. Sure. So the initial brushstrokes are there, but then we of course painted over it. That's that's he's not Tommy. I'm not Tommy. I'm not Parker. I'm not any of these real characters. But so much of my voice is in there. Sure. There's a moment. There's a moment with Carolyn where uh, Julie says, um, "Make up your mind for God's sakes," and instead of saying "for God's sakes," because yeah. she's all about goddess, and Carolyn just says, "I can't. I can't with the goddess thing." And the audience goes nuts. Yeah. That's, that's me. And I didn't have to tell Heather, say it this way. She knew what to do with it. It was right on the page. So there is a vulnerability with it, but I like to put myself in every character and even Lucille. I mean, Lucille, I gave that monologue used to be really short. I gave Lucille the, the sort of matriarch of the show, this giant monologue about getting old and everything she says is me. Yeah, and everything hurts. She's my favorite character. I thought she was so. I love the actor so much because she looked kind of. She was kind of daffy and yet wise at the same time. Yeah. Yes. And she played it so beautifully. Yes. She has one line that really made me laugh. She was like, "What the fuck do you think is happening?" Or do you know <laughs> what I'm talking about? It had that cadence of like yeah. somebody was being esoteric, and she was just like laid, called it out, right? Yes, because she's been so sweet the whole show. Yeah. And he says, I don't want any more responsibilities. And then she just says, who the fuck does? <laughs> right, and that's it. That's what we're all It's thinking. how she that's says what it. That's is. Yes, yes. That's Sarah Ballantyne. Her father was the great Ballantyne. He used to be on, like, all the 70s shows. He was a magician. Oh, and wow. he he was one of the guys. He was constantly at the Magic Castle. Sarah is basically, like, a grandfathered-in um, member. And so she told all of us, anybody who wants to come, put your suit on, put your best dress on. You're my VIP guest. So, you know, I'm going to the Magic Castle. I've never been to the Magic Castle. Me neither. Me neither. No, it's no. sort of like a... I don't know. Are they orgies? What happens? Anyway, it's Magic. very intriguing. Um, you also work in the world of promotion, um, yeah. promos and stuff for different networks. When I had the screening party pilot, you edited the trailer. And it's right. a way of thinking about things 
like I think some creators think they're pretty smart, but it's a special skill that you develop to be able to think like a trailer person and a promo person. It's not the same juice. How right. has that affected your writing when you're working on something like Happy Birthday McKenna? It's really interesting because I had uh, one of my favorite promo co-producers, Craig, was there last night with his wife, and he, like, hugged me so hard, and he just said, this is such a reminder of creativity. we got to be creative. we got to keep the spark alive because so much of we do is next Tuesday. It's an all-new insert yeah. here. Insert the laugh. You won't believe what happens. Don't miss. We have call to action. We always have to have a you can't miss. So it is an interesting thing. It's getting back to the joyful part of it. It's getting back to what makes you excited. When I made that trailer for you, I'm a totally different pair of eyes. So I looked at everything you had, and I remember um, I can hear the music we used. Yeah, yeah, that was so popular. It was so good, though. It worked so much. And I couldn't have come up with that for all the, you know, oil in Texas. I just didn't have... That that's not how my brain works. I think it's something you you get better at as you do it, or maybe you just have a knack for it. It just also depends where you're looking. Like when you, I always find with Netflix, they give they like I don't need to watch the show at this point. You just gave me 11 minutes of 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 Wednesday, the Wednesday promotions, and I loved Wednesday, and I know Ted Baselli, and I love Netflix. But so much of the promotions, it was like a three and a half minute trailer. It was like you told me everything. I think so much of it is just giving people a taste and making them want to know more. And even with this play, I'm very careful in how I'm promoting it. And, and I'm not, uh, one of my actors talked to me, talked to me and he edits and he said, I'd like to create, like, he showed me a couple ones he's done and they're really slick. I mean, they've got graphics and transitions and they're really well shot. He goes around the, you know, he goes around, you know, around the actor so with this his is phone. Promos for the show. Promos for, for show. the show. Yeah. But I told him it's too slick. It's too slick. It's too produced. I, I kind of want to know that I'm going to something special, something hidden. Like this is what I always loved about the mismatch game. This is what I always loved about Chico's Angels. It was like I'm in on an inside joke. And I get to go in through a secret entrance. And yeah. I feel kind of cool because I know this thing that, oh, I'm in this basement in, uh, you know, I mean, Casita del Campo. It's basically a fire trap. I mean, we're all going to die. Yeah, it's the but, finest uh, corkboard set you're going to get west of the Mississippi. <laughs> right. It is a fire trap. It really is. And that was part of its all. charm. Yes, yeah. that was part of its charm. And, yes, I did one night sit in front of Charlene Tilton from uh, Dallas. Of course. Who... Um, was talking nonstop about whatever diet she was on through the whole fucking show. And then she turned and like, she was just like, oh, yes, yeah, so because I'm, I'm trying to cut back on my carbs and because the vegetables, because I don't really like green. Oh, ah, that's funny. Oh, they just said a really funny thing. Yeah, but see, the mashed potatoes, because I love mashed potatoes, she talked nonstop about her diet, which I find interesting <laughs> because, first of all, you seem like a really nice person, yeah. and I, I, that's not a cut to you, and the show was awesome, but also – you know, when you're on a diet, you probably don't want to be talking so much about food. Sure. You know, it's like you, <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe talk a little less about it. That's an interesting Charlene Tilton insight that I would not have expected. <laughs> I, I have no. I love the woman. I don't on know this her, interview. but yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so what was the process during the pandemic? Did you just put this aside? It's interesting you ask that because it started as going to be like, let's do a Zoom show. Let's do a pandemic show. Let's shoot it. And then then we'll record it. We'll do it like a Zoom. And then I'll record it and I'll edit it all together. And we, let's make it like a family Zoom. Like they're Zooming each other. And we had these funny ideas of like that the, the two parents who have McKenna, like McKenna would run behind them, but we wouldn't see her. And she would just like throw things in the air and they'd be like, McKenna. Um, but it kept evolving. And we did a reading of the script, and uh, I'm sure you've been here, too, as a writer. We did a reading of the script, and in my head, so much of it made sense, and so much of it flowed, and oh, God, these characters are so great. And then you hear it out loud, and you're like, God, I've been in my head a little, little too long. Right. <laughs> and, and I got some really great notes, and I completely um, transformed two of the characters, Eddie and Deb, had complete transformations. And then I did a second reading and, uh, and we did a second reading and again, whole, another whole overall, it was two and a half years of writing before it ever saw the light of day of let's go get a theater. And we got a theater, we got the theater we're in for October, 2021, 2022, this past October. Yeah. 2022. And, um, and then with where COVID was at, I just wasn't ready to do it. And I had been to a few theater things where they're like, you're going to sit three seats apart from each other and we're all going to wear a hazmat suit and I'm going to spray you in rubbing alcohol, you know, and I didn't want right. the wall up. I didn't want the wall up. So we are doing it now and here we are. And, um, it would, the, the pandemic definitely affected us. Look, you heard it. We make our audience wear a, uh, a mask and almost all of you followed it. We had two people again in the front row, take their mask off defiantly. And, my thing is, I got ten actors on the stage. I have to yeah. protect, and they got to see. They got to keep they acting. Got another they show gotta, to do. Yeah, one hundred percent. Don't make it. Yeah, don't make it about you. I know. Put the crazy. damn mask on. Look, April, April third, California. Go mask free. Go crazy, you crazy kids. Yeah. What does Jim think of it? Your husband. He was so sweet. Um, so he's read it, and then he went to both readings, and he came to uh, opening Saturday night. And after the show, he came down, and all he kept saying was, in front of lots of people, he just kept saying, I didn't think it was going to be this. And I didn't, I just didn't think it was going to be. I said, well, good or bad? And he's like, good. I just, and he kept pointing to the set. And I go, what are you pointing at? And he said, well, I just didn't think it was going to be this. And I said, you saw all the furniture. I collected it on the side of the street and put it in the garage. (laughs) Yeah. But he said, he said, I don't know. I just. He didn't have the vision of it of, you know, we put up these, their maps up. We have a, a, a beautiful tree, um, shadow gobo that shines on one wall. And, um, again, I, I like to give people an experience. So he really liked it. He is a little nervous if his family ever sees it. Um, cause it's a lot based on his family, but we don't really, there's nothing of his real family that's in there. Right. So I think he's okay. Yeah. Now you also host a podcast called World Gone Good. I oh. do. What's your mission with that? I know it. it, it uh, I know from having done it. But how do you describe your mission? I love yours because you always say at the beginning of yours, um, uh, the person producing this and sponsored by me. It's the same situation. Well, I started doing that very clearly. I stole that from George Hahn, um, another guy that started a podcast. And I was like, you know what? That's very concise. It's clear. It's a little bit cheeky. But it lets people know, hey, if you like this, you know. Support it. There's a link. Yeah. Right. There's a link. Yeah. So I, yes. I, I, I very, um, I heard George Hahn do that and I'm like, I'm stealing that. So yeah. Yeah. I love it. 
Yeah. I love it. I started it during the pandemic as well. I just wanted an outlet. I recorded 18 shows with friends, just rough stuff to just see. I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a CBS Sunday morning show style, right? Yeah. I'll do a, I'll do a little like five minutes of you and five minutes of her and five minutes of him. And then it just sort of took off on its own and people started coming to me. We just tell good stories and you've been on it and lots of people have been on it. And we've done, we've done, we've had famous people, we've had celebrities, we've had huge, um, uh, charities on, we've had huge rescues on, and then we've just done topics. We've done the love of musicals. We, for Valentine's day, our good friends, John and Doug came on and told their story of falling in love over the soap opera, another world. I did a whole thing on love, uh, love for Valentine's Valentine's Day tied to daytime soap operas. I got one of my soap friends, Martha Madison, who's on Days of Our Lives to come on. And it's just an easy, fun, feel-good thing to do. You know and I know it's hard to break through with these shows. There are so many choices out there. Sure. And it's just exciting to put something you feel good about out there. And that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Have you ever cried during an episode? That's a great question. The one time I ever broke was I was interviewing my friend Janice, she was talking about when her mother died. Um, okay. This will, this is insane. Her mother died because a tree fell on her. I oh, wow. can't make this up. Her mother died, um, in a wind, really big wind hurricane storm in long Island. And her mother heard a tree go down in the backyard and ran outside to look at the tree that went down. And another tree came down and hit her mom. And so we started talking about parents and I started talking about my dad and I got emotional. And, um, I think that's the only time I've gotten really emotional. Going back to your promo work, a lot of times in those situations, you might be working with a major star for like three hours. Like it's right. not like a, a, an ongoing relationship and you have to kind of go in and win their confidence. Like, what is that like? And can you talk about some of the people that you've worked with in that way? The very first person I ever directed became my friend, Melissa Peterman, who you know. Yeah. And um, Melissa Peterman, we didn't even have to say action. It was on the WB years, and we had one of those sets with, like, volleyballs and beach balls. And it was summer or whatever the hell it was. Throw the beach balls. We hadn't even said action. She just started horsing around. And I turned to the <laughs> I turned to the AD, and I said, we're, we're filming, right? And he, she, he's like, yeah, we started filming. We thought you said – we didn't hear you say action. She just started going. Right. So – she was an instant friend because she was just such a freaking delight. But I have had the pleasure of working with some amazing people. I've had the pleasure of <laughs> working with some difficult people. I have worked with um, very interesting people. And usually I get way less than three hours. Usually I get five minutes right, with them. Right, but you do. have to get their go, go, go. mission and you have to yep. not alienate them, upset yes. them. You have to kind of yes. tiptoe. Yep. Yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. Cloris Leachman is probably like my claim to fame. Um, her daughter was her publicist manager, I guess, at the time. So here comes in Cloris, who's like 89 years old. And here's her daughter, who's like 68 years old, right? So it's like they walk in and they introduce uh, me to her. And they say, this is your director, Steve. And she says, oh, hello. And I said, hello. And I take her arm and I'm walking her toward the white psych. And um, you kick your shoes off and we put these little plastic booties on you. It kind of looks like a, a like a rain, like if you were going into the shower to protect your hair, like a little, little bonnet, right. but it goes on your little feet. So we put those on and we're walking on. And I said to her, because um, I'm so nervous, it's fucking Cloris Leachman, who, I mean, come on. So I said, uh, I just watched you recently. And she said, oh, really? And I said, yeah. I said, in the Wonder Woman two-hour pilot. 
movie from 1975. And Cloris Leachman stops walking and she just goes, I wasn't very good in that. And I said, yes, you were. And she goes, no. And I go, all right, hold on. I said, high anxiety. And she pats me on the hand and she goes, I was very good in that. And I said, you were. So I put her in place. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, when you do promo, a lot of time you have a camera and we have a teleprompter, but the teleprompter works off this mirror. So there's a screen in front of the actual lens. You look right at it and it flips it around upside down and backwards, fires it up. And you can look right at the camera. It's not above, around, aside. It's not cue cards. It's right there. And so Cloris says, can you make the font a little bigger? Great. Roll through it. Got it. Mm -hmm. And I'd already given her the script. She's like, got it. And I walk all the way back over to what's called Video Village, where I have these executives from Fox behind me. And I sit down. We're ready to go. And I'm like, I'm a good 50, 60 feet away. And she's mic'd. And she says, Steve. And I go, yes. And she goes, may I ask you a question? I go, yes. She says, (laughs) Clarissa, she goes, do I have to read what's on the screen exactly? And I get up and I jog back over and I lean down and I put my, now I'm only, I'm in a mic pack so I can press mine on and off so they can't hear me. I put my hand over her lab, over her mic so no one can hear. And I say in the quietest voice to Cloris Leachman, I say, if you say what's on the teleprompter, 100% the way it's been written and approved by those people behind me in the suits, one time, I will let you say anything you want after that, and I won't say cut. And she patted me and said, you got a deal. And we went, I said, action. And she nailed it on the first take. And I did what I've done directing many times. I didn't say cut. And then Cloris Leachman starts talking about blowjobs, handjobs, milking, 69. I mean, the the shit that came, the, every curse word, she was like the dirtiest, sexiest pornographic pirate. And the crew is like, everyone has their, everyone's hands over their mouths. And I finally hit the button and go cut. And the bell rings and everyone, including the execs behind me, die laughing. And she just gave me a big thumbs up. And that was working with Cloris Leachman. She did every single take of 10 scripts, picture perfect. And then she just gave us like some of the greatest standup I've ever seen in my life. What was the promo for? What was she promoting? So she was on Raising Hope. And we were doing a um, Tuesday night, like the women of Tuesday night. So right. I got to work with Min- Mindy Kaling. I got to work with Dakota Johnson. I got to work with um, uh, Zoe Deschanel, all the women, and Cloris Leachman and Martha Plimpton. Um, and I was warned with Martha Plimpton, do not bring up Goonies. Uh, I was warned about that <laughs> in advance. So did you not? You, you steered clear of Goonies. I, you know when someone tells you not to do yeah, something? Yeah, all you can think about. <laughs> yeah. Mindy, Mindy Kaling was amazing because I was told she was in hair and makeup, and they said to me, uh, go make sure you have Mindy Kaling's approval on the scripts. And I wrote several of the scripts myself. So I wrote back there. I go to my hair and makeup. Hi, Mindy. Nice to meet you. She's so nice. I said, so, hey, do you, are you cool with the script? She goes, yeah, why wouldn't I be? I said, okay, go. Cool. just want to check. I want to see if you want to make any changes because you're such a great writer. And she takes my hand and she goes, did someone tell you to come back here and get my approval? And I said, no, no. <laughs> she could tell. But she was so nice about it. She yeah. goes, why? She's, come on. Let's go. So, yeah. yeah I've um, Promo is hard. Yeah. And you all know this because you know when you see something you love and you see something. If you see something and you're like, uh, like Black Adam, I'm out. 
Yeah. <laughs> not seeing that, people, based on the promo. Not yeah. seeing it. When you see trailers and stuff, are you looking at them with a more ju- judgmental eye? Are you like, why did they pick that? Or they're telling us too much? How do you look at trailers different than somebody that doesn't work in that world? Um, it, another great question. I am, because I've done it for going on 25, 30 years, whatever that, it's right. been since 1998. I can't do the math. Uh, yes. I'm very, I, 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 I like when I see one I really like. If I see one I really like, I go, damn, that was a good one. Um, what was the movie with, uh, uh, Kristen Wiig, Barb and so-and-so Barb go and to, go to Vistel Del Mar. Yeah. Okay. Th- that's a great promo. I still remember that promo. I was very proud of. Whoever put that together, I said, that's a good trailer because it was just enough to make you go, huh? And then other promos I see and I go, uh, and, and I know every trick in the book. I can, I can teach you things that you'll never even, I go, oh my God, they're using it. That's a stock shot or, okay, that's, you will see so many times, especially in sitcoms. If you see a CBS sitcom in front of a live studio audience or any of the ones you'll see like, um, uh, Tim Allen do a react at the end of a promo, someone says a joke and Tim Allen turns his head and he rolls his eyes or he nods his head. What you don't notice is that Tim Allen is in a completely different outfit than when he was when the previous shot with the three shot because you're so focused on his face. Yeah. Because we create these bins of stock shots that right. we can use, reacts. And so we get busted every now and then with someone going, his shirt was blue and now it's red. Right. And then we'll like close it up or we'll flip them the other direction. And like, sometimes we flip them the other direction and you don't notice that the stairs are going the wrong way or something is written backwards accidentally in the, <laughs> so right. it's all those things. So yes, the answer is yes. And, um, I feel like right now I'm in a transition period in my life. And, um, I, I, I left my job a year ago and I still do consults and I do take jobs here and there. But, um, but I kind of want to go to Off-Broadway with my show, so I'm kind of focused on that. I kind of feel like if I just keep – I just want to say it, like, and yeah. then it'll happen. It's manifesting. I like it. Totally. Um, totally. You know, creative careers go through ups and downs. What keeps you going? My mortgage. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good answer, actually. Um, what keeps me going and fired up is – I, the lockdown for a lot of people, including me, really affected me because I am a, uh, I like to call myself an extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. I'm happiest like in a cabin writing or, you know, um, doing my own thing, sitting doing my podcast by myself at a coffee shop or working on characters in a play. But um, it, it really affected me. And I, I, my creativity went down and my fear went up. And it was just, I think a lot of us experienced that. But I think what just keeps me going is that I don't, I don't really see artists as, oh, Dennis, you have this, you know, you're a published author, Dennis, you are, you're multi, you've written a few books, but it's not like you wrote those books and you're like, I'm done. I don't need to write anything more. I finished my creative, my creative journey is over. It's, I feel like us, we artists are constantly ready to paint the next painting. And I'm always excited about three things ahead of myself. And I really have to work on it. And what's great about a play, um, and even what we're doing right now, a podcast, it's like I have to be present in this moment. You did a show called 15 Minutes of Femme, which you produced and hosted, which showcased um, women comics and storytellers. I think I've seen people from that blow up. Am I deluded? There are people from that that I'm like, wait, I think I saw her on 15 Minutes of Femme all those years ago, right? 
Our, our first winner, Kirsten Bengsness, went on to be on Criminal Minds. Um, Krista Flanagan went on to be on Mad TV and Mad Men. Uh, so many of them have just gone on to much bigger things. And and then again, that's part of the creative process. That was such a fun show. It was before American Idol. It was each woman got 15 minutes to wow you. And at the end of the hour, you voted. We It was old school, everybody. There was like a piece of paper with their pictures. You circled it with a golf pencil. You passed it down the aisle. And then later that night, I counted them all up and we went online and put it up on the website. I think my favorite part of doing the show was the end is everybody with the golf pencil. I would say at the end of every show, okay, everybody, on the count of three, pretend I'm a vampire and you're going to kill me with your golf pencils because they're little pieces of wood. One, two, three, and a hundred pencils flew at me on the stage. And I thank everybody so I didn't have to buy more pencils. Well, you um, or find them on the side of the road, right. which is really hard if you go a pencil at a time. But um, you know you know from doing uh, Mismatch that in-the-moment thing is such magic, yeah. right? I mean, it, when something comes to you and it comes out of your mouth or – God, it sounded so sexual, didn't it? It comes out of your mouth. Okay, okay, just edit that. Edit that out. Okay, we've got kids listening. You, we, you are, we don't have kids listening. We, we barely have adults <laughs> listening. <laughs> uh, but when you're in that moment, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's that, you know, it's those moments that certain people like Tom Link can, comes, shit comes out of that boy's mouth <laughs> that no one else comes up with. Yeah. And it's magic. That's, that's, again, that's magic. But what was it that made you want to showcase women? Oh, Jesus Christ. Do you know how many women I came coming, uh, had coming up to me and saying, oh, put my one woman show up. Put my woman show up. You put a place, put up one woman show up. And I said one day to like, I got so tired of saying, I'm not producing your one woman show. <laughs> I, what, the, what are you talking about? Right. And then I said one day, I'll just produce all the one woman shows. And then I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because I know and you know, like I love a great one person show. Okay. But we all can admit. It hits about 48 minutes and you're like, I really wish there was a different person or that another character right. came on or you know, wrap this thing up like most shows. Right. And, um, and I just thought to myself, 15 minutes, 15 minutes of 15. And my friend Gina Ryan said 15 minutes of femme, 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, it was such a minutes. good I title said, that you had to go with it. That's Gina. That was hundred percent Gina Ryan, Gina Garcia. Yeah. I believe her last name is now. She's amazing. And, I just contacted 32 women and we had auditions and we did it six times and one time with guys. So you're talking about, we put up 200 shows and um, we're putting up four shows a night and it was just super fun to just be in the moment, do it and, and, um, and, and watch some of these women really, whether they became hugely successful or not, love that 15 minutes. Yeah, it's great. I still have memories of seeing that show. Um, you bring people together, and you have a big network, and people show up for you and stuff like that. Were you that way growing up? Were you the ringleader in the neighborhood that would be like, let's put on a show? <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, I was a really kind of shy kid, and I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, I think this is like a common gay theme for a lot of gay kids is like so many of us, I didn't know I was gay. I just knew I was different. I didn't know, oh, I like boys. I didn't sexualize it. Right. And I didn't romanticize it. I just knew I wasn't the same. The other thing for me, which I've talked about on my podcast many times, I went through puberty so late, so late, everybody. I went through puberty at 15 and my dad same thing. My dad went through puberty. He was almost 17 and he still had like nothing going on. He's still like 4'11". 
I literally had the growing pains that they talk about. Oh, he has growing pains. I literally had them because I shot up from like it five foot one. Hurt. It hurt. It hurt to hurt. grow. I didn't know that yes. was a real thing. Wow. It's a real thing. You're, but you sh- I used to come downstairs and my mom would be smaller. Every, and then we're, 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 we're face to face. You had just been down there small. like a few hours earlier. Wow. <laughs> wow. I had that, ele- that elephantitis. I was just growing, growing, growing. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I really wasn't a ringleader. It just became more like I went to college. I really loved college. I became a resident assistant. No shock there. I was RA of the year in 1989. I still have the plaque from the University of Arizona. Thank you very much. Um, one of my most proudest awards, one of my only awards. And then I moved to L.A. and I kind of just surrounded myself with people who I wanted to be around. And we kind of created a little team, a little group. And Kirsten was in the group and Danny was in the group. And Chris Anderson, who's gone on to be Dixie Longgate, has, was in our group. And and I kind of just fostered it. But um, I don't know. I mean, you know, look, you write something good. And it's like, again, I keep using the mismatch as my example. But everybody wants to be in the mismatch. I want to come. I know I can't do it. I don't have that talent. But there's that little part of me is like, I want to sit on the stage and say funny things and put on a wig and have everybody clap for me. <laughs> so, there it is. That's all. That's you what get it is. It. That's what it is. Um, you picked a few questions from the observation deck before we started. What yeah. movie did you see when you were too young to see it? Okay. So um, the movie I saw that I was too young to see is a little movie called Jaws. Okay. I was eight years old. Wow. It came on home box office, not HBO, everybody, home box office. Right. Our rich, in quotes, next-door neighbors had home box office. And I went over there. I was eight years old, and they left me in charge of their five- and three-year-old when they went out one night. Wow. And I was basically babysitting. And I put them to bed, and I was clicking. I was like, ooh, HBO, maybe there'll be some titties. I was so excited. Um, and then it said, like, you know, the thing, like, Peter Benchley's Jaws coming up. Like, they always use the movie trailer as their right. trailer, whatever it was. And it started um, literally when the kid on the raft yeah. flips over, remember? Yeah. And the mom with the hat is looking, calling out his name. Um, and Piper, I think, is the isn't the dog named Piper? Maybe. Is it Piper? No, no, Pippin. Pippin, because the guy's right. the guy throws the stick and he's like Pippin, Pippin. I'm like, <laughs> so I'm watching this. When that flipped over, just picture me. It's like nine o'clock at night. I ran out of their house <laughs> in New Jersey, ran off New Jersey down their walkway, and I had to stand and just breathe and just breathe, and then slowly make my way back to the house. And I missed about you know five, six minutes of the big meeting that they all have, uh, you know, where yeah. I don't find that funny. I don't find it funny. I don't find it funny at all. I love that woman. I don't find this funny. Um, came back into it and I did it one more time when, uh, Roy Scheider's throwing the, the, the chum in and it come, the shark comes out. I literally had to leave the house. I but you kept going back to, to the movie. Leave. You couldn't resist it. Ah, it's like, that's the story of my life. You had some self-control, but not enough. No, and I also left a five-year-old and a three-year-old, like, in a home. I could have, like, locked. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you said that that question is related to another question that you picked, which is, um, what movie have you seen more than any other? Jaws. Yeah. So you loved, you fell in love with I it. I love it. I love it. You love it, the- though it hurts you. It hurts me. The only movie I can think that even comes close to I've seen as many times as Jaws is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Interesting. But there, I, like, I have a weird top five because All About Eve's in my top five. Yeah. Um, Superman, uh, uh, Christopher Reeve. Right. Raiders, Raiders, 
And then it's a tie, and you'll laugh. It's Jaws. You hear my hazel? Yeah, I do. I can hear your dog. That's, that's, my, all right. that's my little hazel. I like it. Uh, it's a tie. It's Jaws, and it's The Wizard of Oz. And when anyone ever says, oh, you love The Wizard of Oz because you're gay, uh, no. Here's why The Wizard of Oz is the greatest movie of all time, and I, I will stand by this forever. It's the greatest songs, color, visuals, lighting, costumes, acting, story. But here's the thing. At no point during The Wizard of Oz do you say, gee, Ray Bulger sure is doing a good job as the Scarecrow. He just is the Scarecrow. And that's why my entire life, even as a kid, as an adult, The Wizard of Oz is that movie of like, I can sit down and go, this is real. Right. This is that, that is such perfection. It's so, like I would see them in other movies, clang, clang, clang with the trolley and whatever, Dorothy. It's not, I mean, that was Judy Garland playing right. a part. But when she was Dorothy, she was Dorothy. Yeah. And that, that's the magic of a movie. I love it. That's a beautiful thought. Um, here's another question you picked. How did you learn about the birds and the bees? <laughs> Okay, so it's a two-parter, really quickly. So my like friend again, and yeah, <laughs> my best friend at the time, kid named Jeff. Uh, he has home box office as well. He says, "Come over, have a sleepover Saturday night." There's a movie going on called Luna, L-U-N-A. Oh yeah, I remember. Okay, this. there was uh-huh. something. Is it incest? No. It's incest. It's incest. Man, the seventies. Hard. There were movies like Hardcore and like Luna. Yes, I was like eight or nine. He's like a year younger than me. We're like under these covers, getting little boners, all excited. We're going to see naked people. And um, I can't think of who it is, the actress, but she has sex with her son in a shower. And they basically show her muff as the cutaway shot, which is like, you know, um, it, both of us were so like freaked out repulsed revolted by all of that because we didn't know what sex was and then we're like oh my god You're skipping right to incest you skipped a bunch you of have... <laughs> yeah we apparently we have to have sex with our parents wow. um it it messed me up now the the follow-up to this is around 12 years old i guess i was asking some questions my mother comes down she gives me this thing called the little yellow book it was this little book and you started reading it was this tiny little yellow book and it says a doctor's journey through reproduction or something like that right. and you start reading it. and it starts with fish and then it goes to cows and chickens i got easily bored with this book i'm like it's the same story get it get it get it i just tossed the book my brother comes up to me. He's five years older than me. And he says to me, did you finish the book? I go, yes. He said, did you get everything down? Yes. Do you have any questions? And he's like 17. So I say, um, no, I'm, I think I'm good. I think I got, I mean, there's one thing I didn't realize. And he's like, what's that? And I said, um, I didn't know that the man has to stand behind the woman to impregnate her. And my brother's like, wait, what? And that's the point where everyone realizes that Steve did not make it to the final chapter. I gave up on cows or chickens. Right. But in a surreal twist no one expected, it kind of worked out for me in the end. Yeah. If you know what I'm saying. Sure. Because the positioning as a gay man, I think I won. I think I won that one. (laughs) There was a period of a couple weeks where I thought babies might come out the butt. I think it was something that I had seen on a deck of dirty playing cards. Yeah. And I think I might have thought that for a bit. When, yeah. when did you when did you first like when did you first make the connection that there was um pleasure involved, not just insert seed, bop it a bop? 
it was never talked about. And I think that's one of right. the biggest things that I would change about my life is my right. um, messages around sex and my, right. and, and, or, or it's having somebody talk to me about it ever. Like you're really fumbling in the dark. There's a lot of shame attached to it, whether you're gay or straight. And nobody ever said it could be fun or pleasurable, but our bodies were telling us it could be. So right. it was weird. Yeah. It's yeah. so, it's so, it, they, they made it so clinical in like in an effort, I think, to get us not to be interested in it. Right. But you're inherently interested you're in it. You're going to be into it. That, yeah. And, and the grownups act like they were never teenagers. Like they 100%. never that. Don't get it. Like, Same. Yeah. They're like, suddenly they turn a certain age and they're like, well, we can't talk about this. Anyway, yeah. it's weird. Um, tell people <laughs> how they can see your play, Happy Birthday McKenna. Go to HBM, Happy Birthday McKenna, hbmtheplay.com. We have six more shows. It runs through March 26th, Fridays, Saturdays at 8, Sundays at 7. We're rotating in three new actors this week, another new actor the following week. And if you're in L.A. and you want to, like, how can I say this? You want to dispel the rumor that all local theater is, ugh, I got to go see my friend in something. I promise you, and Dennis will back me up on this, you will laugh. You will laugh. And, and you're in and out in an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, hour 20, hour 25. Yeah. No intermission. No intermission, people. Yeah. And, and if you want some of the furniture, you can maybe put a post-it on the coffee table if you want it, like until the Would end of the Would that not – oh, no, or like a little red dot. Yes. Like you're like in a paint like, – like Literally at a garage sale. <laughs> like it's a also gallery. a garage sale. It's a garage sale and a play. I love that. I Don't really think that's, there's an idea there, like where okay. you're selling stuff during the show. I've always wanted to do like a play. Network. Yes, I've always wanted to do a play where something involved in it, it involves cooking. Yeah. And then you break the fourth wall and like somebody makes like, oh, I'm making um, peanut noodles. Yeah. And then we I all get plates of peanut. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like here, audience, have some peanut noodles. I love it. Pass that around. Um, <laughs> I, this reminds me of a stupid story, but we had gone to see the musical Xanadu. Yep. And I, our group, I think it was me and Danny and a few other friends, um, Danny Casillas, and there's a bit where we're on the stage. Like some of the people are sat on the stage kind of in these circular, you know, Roman kind of seating. And there's a bit where somebody brings out popcorn and they start popping, passing it around like it's a bit, like we're bringing out the popcorn. And so they pass it to me and I'm not sure what to do with it because suddenly now we're part of the show and it's a bit... Right. And gosh, what was her name? She's like a Broadway kind of character actress. I think her name was Mary something. Um, but she went to take, I didn't, she went to take the popcorn from me, but I didn't know I was supposed to give it to her. And I'm holding it and she leans and she goes, let go. <laughs> <laughs> it was chilling. It was chilling in a way that Xanadu wasn't supposed to be chilling. So. <laughs> The point is, if you bring food into an audience situation, you don't know what you're going to get. You might – people don't know how to act. The, 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 the Putnam County – the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling yeah. Bee where they pull up people to spell on the stage. Yeah. Uh, there's a the, – again, there's an excitement of like, I want to be in a show. And then you're in the show and you're like, what the fuck am I up here doing? Yeah. So, did you, uh, did yeah. that happen to you? Did you have to spell a word? No. No, I did not. But the yeah. night that Danny and I were in New York together and we saw it and this young lady – was going, 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 going. One of the, the teachers walked off stage and came back. And, like, it was really funny. They made it look like he kind of, like, toweled himself down. And we all applauded. She got so far. The final word they gave her was, like, something I've never heard of, like, Zipthamalia Vitalitin. Yeah. And she got almost – and they rang the bell. At the end of the show, 
Julie fucking Andrews. Julie Andrews comes <laughs> out on stage and says, good evening, I'm Julie Andrews. And we give her a standing ovation. She said a big round of applause to little Megan so-and-so. She was the real winner of the National Spelling Bee. They did it to to throw the cast as a joke. Wow. And then it became a it became a fundraiser for education. And outside, you'll see in the lobby, blah, 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 blah. But the cast was like, they didn't know what to do because no one made it past three or four right. words. That was this, part of the bit. Like some audience member would choke at a certain point and then on with the show. And we went nuts because this yeah. girl was nine, ten years old and she was on word 15, 16. Yeah. And the other, the other kids, the other adults playing kids were like going crazy cheering for her because she kept going. That's crazy. What was Julie Andrews doing there? I think she was there to see it, but I think they also asked her as a sponsor of arts and education uh, to come okay. out and be that person. Right on. Uh, she kind of came in with an umbrella and landed. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> Did it sing a couple of lines of Edelweiss. Um, <laughs> so, Steve, here's my final question. What has the journey of doing this play meant to you in your life? Okay, so I won't get too emotional. So my very first play was in 1993. I put it up for $9,000. It was at the Victory Theater, I believe, where you saw the last show you went to yes, before I this one. Yes, I live right down the street from there. Um, uh, Maria Gobetti and Tom Gobetti run it, and um, it was called Mother's Day. And this show takes me full circle and lets me know that it's never too late. It's been 19 years since the last one. And as I witnessed last night, to see a sold-out house get on their feet almost in unison and go batshit crazy over something that I helped foster and make happen is just just one of those full-circle wonderful moments. And I'll just end by telling you this. The show ends with them opening the door for McKenna and saying, happy surprise, happy birthday, McKenna. And I realized the other day my very first play opened with the gay son saying to his mother, that his boyfriend had just arrived um, and would she like to meet him? And he says, yes. And he goes up to the door and we had an actual door. And as he opened the door, we'd bring the lights down. There was no one there, but I realized, oh my God, I did it again. I full circled it with the doors again. So apparently there's something about door. Maybe the show should be just be called open the door. Yeah. Don't, don't let them in. Don't. What, what was that movie? Let them, the horror movie with the vampires. Let the right don't, one in. That yeah, thing? that's the one. Yeah. Is that, wasn't that it? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, All right. Well, congratulations. It was so fun to see the show. Uh, enjoy the rest of your run, and thanks for doing the podcast. I appreciate you so much, and um, thank you for having me. Bye. Thanks again to Steve Silverman. Go check out his play, Happy Birthday McKenna. You can learn about that at hbmtheplay.com. Okay, so this happened. I just finished watching the Academy Awards, and I really enjoyed it. I feel good. Of course, RRR won an award for Best Song, and that's like I'm living for that movie. I've seen it four times in the theater, and I'm going again on Wednesday, so it'll be a fifth time. I don't know. It's like my religion. Um, I was disappointed that we didn't get to see the actors from the movie uh, on the actual Oscars. Um, but I loved the speech that the composer gave and that he sang the Carpenter song. It was just the best. Um, I was very happy about everything everywhere, winning all the different things. Um, overall, I just really enjoyed it. And this year I got really into watching the movies. I think maybe because I was sick over the holidays and spent a lot of time watching screeners. And I don't know, I was just really into the filmmaking. And then just last um Friday night, I went to see All Quiet on the Western Front on the big screen, and it's really good, too. It's hard. 
Um, but it really makes a powerful point about the senselessness of war and that theme music that one best score. It goes. Dun, dun, dun. It's so. It's kind of like that iconic Jaws music that's so simple, but it just unnerves you. And it kind of had that quality. And so I was not surprised when it won best score because you hear those three bars, and you're like, oh boy, some poor young German soldier is about to get blown up. Anyways, um, overall, I was really happy with the Oscars. I like Jimmy Kimmel. He's one of my favorite Jimmys of all the Jimmys. And um, what else? I don't know. It feels like there weren't a lot of glamorous presenters. I mean, there were, but I don't know. It feels like... Tom Cruise didn't show up. James Cameron didn't show up. It seems like some people are like, I'm not going to go. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Um, but overall, I was really happy and enjoyed it. And I was happy about everything everywhere. And it just seems like they're all such a great bunch of folks. So um, there it is. All right. That's enough for this week. Thanks for listening. I want to give a shout out to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. JB Bursey for uploading them. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.